Hi there, I trust that you're all doing really well and really blessed by this series. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at a powerful series that I actually did about four years ago in 2018. And I was talking about being strategic in prayer and growing into maturity in prayer. I believe you'll be so blessed. Those of you who will see me in person, I will teach the principles and pray for you also for an activation of maturity in prayer. But those of you online, just be rest assured, it's the same message. I'll be using the same notes. And so I'm not going to record because um, I've already recorded four years ago. And uh, we'll be talking about overcoming immaturity in prayer, overcoming immaturity in prayer. And I've got 18 key uh, principles around that, 18 key signs of immaturity and how to overcome them. And each Sunday we'll look at about six of those. So stay blessed. God is good all the time. Amen. Enjoy. And I know I have lost weight. I have lost weight because I know some of you will look at me and be like, hey, wait, this is interesting. Yeah. Progress in God. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your word and the word of your power. And I pray, Lord God, that for all those who will listen to this message, it will not just be information, but it will be revelation that is imparted. I thank you, God, that the spirit of revelation around prayer and intercession, Lord, and governmental authority as we do so will be ignited in the hearts of your people. And the people of God said, amen and amen. Now, one of the things I've realized is that many times people are desiring breakthrough. Many times people are desiring to have prayer and prayers that get results, but they don't understand that there's a technology to intercessory prayer. There's a technology to the prayer of faith. Amen. And so in about 1999, I went to a particular country, and I'm not going to tell you which country it is because I know that with some of you, you'll begin to investigate all right, so I'm not going to tell you which country it is, but I went to a particular country and there were a lot of intercessors, but they weren't getting the results that they were supposed to get. And I remember praying and I asked the Lord, Lord, why aren't they getting results? And he says, they're praying a lot, but they're praying amiss. And from that time, he began to teach me, how do you pray to get results? And some people are amazed. They say, Paul, you prayed that particular prayer and look what happened. And it happened so quickly. Well, the thing is, many people will complain and they'll say, oh, let me just leave it to the Lord. You know, whatever God's will is when they don't get results, instead of studying the word to see what are the types of prayers that get results. How many of you want to know types of prayers that get results? And so what I've titled this message is 18 signs of immaturity in prayer. Another title I could give it is why certain prayers don't get answered or why we're not effective when it comes to praying, right? I want to give you 18 signs of immaturity in prayer, and I want to show you, I want to give you tools how to overcome those particular signs. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, the Bible says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. How many of you know that in your prayer life, if you're immature, it means you're immature as a Christian? Because prayer and being a Christian go hand in hand, right? It's like saying to someone, oh, how's your marriage? And then they say, oh, no, my marriage is really great. Our only challenge in our marriage is communication. How many of you know that communication is central to having a great marriage, all right? Prayer is central to your maturity in the faith. Now, there are numerous Christians who've been in the faith for years, but they continue to think, reason, and speak like children. Now, there is a way in which a grown-up speaks and reasons. And when it comes to prayer, there's a way in which a mature prayer warrior prays and an immature person prays. And these are things that have to be taught. Okay, we don't learn these things by osmosis. We don't just suddenly become great people at prayer and praying prayers that get results. We have to be taught these particular things. So the first sign of immaturity in prayer is only praying about things relating to yourself, only praying about things that relate to yourself. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying prayers for personal breakthrough, but the Bible is very clear in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The Bible tells us, 
And it says very strongly, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. If you want breakthrough in your personal life, seek first the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because that word first in the Greek, it actually means principle. So make the kingdom of God the principal thing, right? And it's also another interesting thing uh, about this word first. It also speaks of first in order. So the kingdom of God must come first in order, in time, and also in importance. And that should manifest in how we pray. The reason why we often don't get breakthrough in our personal lives is because we haven't put God's kingdom first. And I'm not sharing with you theory here. I'm talking about something that I've walked in, things that the Lord has shown me that if I want my prayers to be powerful, I need to think of the kingdom first. All right? The kingdom first. That's a nice motto, isn't it? Kingdom first. Okay? It's important to pray with as much enthusiasm when we're praying for our city or for our church as when we are praying for personal breakthrough. It's important. Amen. All right? Make a decision to be an intercessor. Make a decision to carry God's burden. Very often we realize in our lives that we cannot carry God's burdens because we are carrying our own burdens. One of the things that qualifies us to be people who carry the burden of the Lord is when we've stopped carrying our own burdens. When we say, Lord, I am available. I want to carry your burden. How many feel that it's easier to pray when you're praying through a burden? It's easier to pray. When you're praying through the burden that God has actually placed upon you. And I want to show you in scripture, in Job chapter 1, verse 6 to 11, there's a very important principle. How many of you know that? The church on the African continent has become very consumerist, very consumerist, where people will literally go to church because of what they can get, okay? I'm coming here for my personal breakthrough, and then once I get the breakthrough, I'll go elsewhere and see if I can get another breakthrough. That's a sign of immaturity, amen? We've seen amazing miracles taking place here. We've seen uh, uh, deaf ear open. We've seen uh, people healed of heart issues, etc. Some of them are still here. Others, we don't know where they are. My prayer is that they have not backslidden. My prayer is that they're still walking strong in God. But if your mindset is very much, bless me, bless me, bless me, and you've got a consumerist mentality, then you'll have problems when it comes to your prayer life. Sometimes we treat men of God like that. We treat them like a sangoma. So some people came from a background where they literally used to go to the witch doctor and say, I want this blessing and I want to go through these hula hoops and I want to do whatever you say I must do in order to get the blessing. And they're now treating pastors in exactly the same way. I'm here to say to you, the blood of Jesus is enough for your breakthrough. Amen. Don't be consumerist. And we see it. It's very interesting when you look at it in detail in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. It says here, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now we know that the reason why the enemy is roaming to and fro. We see it in the New Testament where it says he roams the earth, goes to and fro like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's looking for that opportune time. Do you remember the time when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness? What happened? It says that the devil then left him until an opportune time. So the enemy's strategy is to look for an opportune time. Could this coming week be an opportune time for you? For the enemy to come and to tempt you. Now watch what it says. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. Imagine, that's such a compliment. Imagine, can God say that concerning you? Can God say there's no one on the earth like my servant Nikki? There's no one on the earth like my servant Meliswa. There's no one on the earth like my servant Rimbai. Imagine the Lord actually says that to you. So here's God boasting of his child. And that's what he does. He boasts of us. He loves us so much. And when he sees us doing great stuff, he's like, wow, have you seen anyone on earth 
like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And look at Satan's reply. Does Job fear God for nothing? All right? And Satan says this because he knows that there are many believers like this who are consumers and not producers in the kingdom of God. And so some of you are going through that very test, that very same test that Job went through, where you're being tested in your life right now. Will you give up because you didn't get that job you believe in God for? Will you give up because you didn't get that husband you're believing God for? Right? Will you give up? Or are you one who will say, I will serve God despite the fact that I haven't yet experienced my breakthrough. I will seek the kingdom first despite the fact that I haven't yet experienced my breakthrough. So does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him? Aren't hedges wonderful? Some of you have hedges around you. Some of you don't. All right. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. One of the marks of maturity in your walk with God is you're that person who doesn't curse God when things go badly. There are a lot of people who backslide when things go bad in their life and they don't realize it was just a test that they were actually going through. Could it be that we're not fully aware of what's on God's heart because we're consumed with what's on our own heart? Some people, some of you, you only come to ignite and pray with us when you want a personal breakthrough. But how many of you know that we're always needing to pray simply because there's always something to pray for? They're nations that need to be one to Christ. They're communities that need to be reached for the Lord. And so there's always a reason to pray. Are you the kind of person who gets relaxed about prayer when you don't need a personal breakthrough? But what is on God's heart? What is God carrying on his heart? And he's saying, yes, you don't have major needs right now, but I do. Hear these needs. Are you that person who qualifies to be called by God where God will say, please, I can see you not carrying your own burdens and you are prepared to carry my burdens. And then you're available. I don't know about you, but I want to be available. God has called us to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. I want to be available for him. In Galatians 4 verse 19, it's very powerful. In the NLT, it says, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until when? Until Christ is fully developed in your lives. We've got people around us, and Christ is not fully developed in their lives. How many of you can say you know someone where Christ is completely developed in that person's life? So there's always a reason to pray. And I'm encouraging you this morning, pray for those things first and then your stuff, and you'll see how you will begin to get results in your prayer life. You see, the immature person only prays when times are difficult. The immature person only prays when they're under pressure to pray because of what they want. And then once they have that thing, they relax. The person who's mature in prayer carries the Lord's burdens. And I'm telling you right now, it's so much easier to pray when you are praying through a burden that God has given you. God is looking for intercessors that will carry his burdens and pray with enthusiasm and with zeal for the things that do not necessarily directly relate to them. I believe that the reward from God is greater when you're praying those kinds of prayers than when you're praying for your own things. Let me tell you something. After God has made you start in terms of this type of prayer, You'll find yourself birthing things in the spirit, and then God will give you more things to pray through, more burdens to pray through. And years later, you'll start seeing those very areas that you were praying for linking up with things in your own life. The second sign of immaturity in prayer is only praying anxiety-based prayers, only praying when you're anxious. How many of you have found that sometimes you've got a friendship and the person only comes to you when they're anxious and they're troubled about something? You know when people come to you and they're like, oh, I just needed someone to talk to. I was panicking. And then only then they speak to you. Well, many of us are like that in our walk with the Lord, aren't we? 
Let me tell you what happens. When you only pray prayers from a place of anxiety, that place of anxiety, psychologists call that place emotion dysregulation, right? You're not in a place of emotional balance. And when you're in that place where you've escalated, ever had a fight with your spouse where it escalates, and then you begin to regret what you said to each other. And then they say to you, but remember you said this to me two weeks ago. And you say, but we were fighting. You must understand it was in the context of a fight. I didn't really mean it. Do you know what that shows me? When you're in a state of emotion dysregulation, you end up not saying what you mean and meaning what you say. When you're in a state of emotion dysregulation, you don't think straight. And when you don't think straight, you can't talk straight. And so many of our prayers are not accurate. They're not an accurate reflection of what we really need to be praying because they prayed from a place of anxiety. They prayed from a place of, I'm just in panic mode, then I'm praying. And that's a bit of a problem because those prayers are not effective. One of the greatest signs of immaturity in prayer is when you pray anxiety-based prayers. If you want to pray prayers that get results, shift from praying prayers that are filled with fear and anxiety, and start praying prayers that are filled with faith. The Bible is so powerful when it tells us that if you believe that you have received it in the book of Mark, if you believe that you have received it, then you'll have it. You see, God wants us to pray from a place of prayer where we are filled with hope. What is hope? Hope is joyful and confident expectation. If I'm praying from a place where I truly believe I've already received the particular thing, guess what I'll be doing? I'll be jumping for joy. I'll be filled with not anxiety, but I'll be filled with confidence. I'll be filled with happiness. Why? Because I believe I've received it. If you don't believe you've received it, you stay in a place of anxiety. Let me tell you something. God responds to faith and brokenness. The Bible tells us that the broken and the contrite heart, he will not despise. He will not deny. When you come to God with a place of brokenness, from a place of brokenness and from a place of faith, those two ingredients get you results. When you come to God from a place of anxiety and trepidation and fear, you don't get results. And what is interesting is it is important to study scripture to see what, God, what makes God respond. God doesn't respond to your weeping because you can weep and make lots of loud cries, but not be in faith. I'm telling you that right now. God responds to the language of faith. My question is, do you know what gets God's attention? Do you know what gets God's attention? It's faith. It's not your weeping. It's not your moaning. It's not your eloquent, eloquent words. Sometimes we've got this thing where we think my eloquence will get God's attention. No, it doesn't work that way. And I'll touch on that later on. If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. That's the first thing. We're called by his name. Number two, we humble ourselves. What is it going to say? Shall humble themselves and pray. What happens? We seek his face in prayer. It says, I will come and I will heal their land. How many of you want your land healed? We must humble ourselves before God. This is brokenness. You see, you can pray and you can weep, but with a proud heart, God won't respond. Amen? Pray faith-based faith prayers mixed with thanksgiving and requests. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but, what does the word but mean? Instead, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, to, made known to God. So we've all got requests. We've all got personal breakthroughs that we want, that we're longing to have. Amen? But the Bible here says, be anxious for nothing, but instead... In everything, by prayer and supplication, together with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. So when you pray the prayer of faith, you're thanking God passionately because you believe that he's already done it. That's why thanksgiving very often is the highest form of faith. If you say, Paul, I want to give you this, I'll give it to you next week, and you see me passionately thanking you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so, 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 so much. It means that I believe that I've already received it. Amen? 
I believe I've already received it. Okay? And so we want to mix our prayers of faith together with thanksgiving, and we want to put aside anxiety. Ladies and gentlemen, there's certain things that short-circuit the anointing. And one of those things is fear and anxiety. There's certain things that short-circuit the anointing. One of those things is fear and anxiety. Put it aside and begin to put that energy into prayer, faith, thanksgiving, the word. Amen? And you will see results. Mark 11 verse 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now if you're in a place of and you've believed that you've already received it, are you still anxious? And I ask you again, if you believed that you've already received that particular thing, is there still any room for anxiety? There's no room for anxiety. So the anxious person is just demonstrating to me that they don't believe they have received it. That means they're not in faith. Amen? Can you see the power of this? I'm showing you because many people say, but my prayers were not answered. But why did God not answer my prayer? And then they start believing that ah, sometimes it just doesn't happen. We'll just wait. Or you hear them being very fatalistic. I ah, know we'll just wait for God's timing. And God is like, they're saying, no, I want you to have the breakthrough. You're just not praying properly. Are you hearing me? You're just not praying properly. I want you to have the breakthrough. You're not praying properly. See, what I do is when I'm seeing that prayers are not being answered, I like to take responsibility. Because God has said, if I believe that I've received it, then I'll have it. So I want to take responsibility and say, what am I not doing correctly? What am I not doing cor correctly? How am I praying? amiss according to God's word and then when I figure that out I realize God isn't the problem the problem is yours truly the problem is yours truly it's a gap in terms of revelation I'm telling you right now if you just look at these two points that I've mentioned these first two points why are we not getting results in our prayers we're not putting the kingdom first simple as that that's number one for many of you, if you just apply this kingdom first principle, you'll be amazed what starts happening in your life. Amen? I'm not speaking theory to you. This is not from some book somewhere. These are things I've learned in my own life. Keys to breakthrough. And then the second reason you can apply to your prayer life is to say, am I praying from a place of faith or am I praying from a place of anxiety? Am I weeping and crying out to God, but not in faith? In the book of Psalms, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, In the morning, Lord, you heard my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. And wait how? Expectantly. Many of you, you pray and then you wait anxiously. And I wait expectantly. Do you know what waiting expectantly is? That's hope. Hope is joyful and confident expectation. How many of you right now are in a place, just raise your hands, you're in a place where you can say, Pastor, I'm waiting expectantly for certain things. That's awesome. Do you know one of the things that hope does? It produces joy. The moment you don't have any hope, there's no joy. And that's a test. Are you feeling this joyful and confident expectation? Or is it just a case of like, I'm waiting anxiously? You know how you wait when you're having, about to have an interview? A job interview. That's waiting anxiously. Okay? And just watch your body language, by the way, when you're waiting. Because often our body language is like this, isn't it? Do you know that what you do with your body actually affects your emotional state? Because when you sit like this, waiting for an interview, your cortisol, which is your stress hormone, actually goes up. And testosterone, which is your power, out. But do you know that when you do this, when you've just won a race, your testosterone, which is your power hormone, goes up. And your cortisol, stress hormone, goes down. Body language is very key. I don't know about you, but when I want to start off my day... I want to start off confident. I want to walk confidently because I know that I'm a king's kid. Amen? Sometimes just how you carry yourself 
makes a difference. Some of you, when you're walking, we wonder, is this person born again? Does this person have a revelation that Christ is in you, the hope of glory? Does this person understand they're a God carrier? Because the Bible says you've become one with Christ. Does this person understand that certain people are called to take things from heaven and infect the earth with those particular things? Injected into the earth. That's how you start off your Monday. This thing of Mondays being miserable, Mondays don't have to be miserable Mondays. Amen? When you know who you are in Christ. Let's stop praying prayers that are anxiety-based prayers. I find it interesting because a child does not ask for something and think that you will not do it. Have you noticed that? When your kids come to you asking you, if you're a good parent, when they come asking you for a Christmas present, very often, tell them something, do they ask for less than you can give or do they tend to ask for more? Yes. They think that their parents have got an unlimited bank uh, account. You know, it's just there. The supply is there. That's why the Bible talks about childlike faith. Childlike faith is called childlike faith because children believe. Amen. Children believe. They believe, oh, my dad, my dad will hook us up. Dad, we want to live in this estate and we want to do this. I like our yeah, then we want to do this. But dad, why can't we do this? Dad, why do you? Now think of Father God who owns cattle on a thousand hills. Think of Father God. Let's come to him with a childlike faith. Those of you praying for spouses, believe in God for a husband, believe in God for a wife. When you look around at the world, are there a shortage of people? Is there a shortage of people? Is there a shortage of people? When you look at the stats, okay, some of you might say, yeah, but Christians, they're not enough Christians. When you look at the stats in terms of numbers of Christians, there are millions of Christians born again. Right now in churches, some of the, you see those crowds and so on. Let's believe God. Amen? Believe God for a spouse. Believe God for friends. Some people are like, yeah, and that church is unfriendly. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're. You will get what you focus on. If you come to church and you just think, yeah, those people are unfriendly, you see them. Yeah, just, just. Maybe they're thinking the same thing about you. While you're there with a frown on your face, like, hey, these people are unfriendly. Maybe they're also thinking that, hey, these people are unfriendly. Amen? We have to apply our faith to all of life. Faith for a spouse. Faith for a friend. Faith for salvation. So many people who are deep in the world got saved. God can save your dad. God can save your mom. God can save that wayward brother or wayward child. Amen? In James 1, verse 6, it says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Can you see that the person who's always anxious, they're not believing, they're doubting, right? Look what James says. Look what James says. The pastor in the church at Jerusalem. This is what he says. This is James, the brother of Jesus. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. This is key to answered prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. You can only have confidence in prayer when you know God's will. If I know that this thing is God's will, I should be confident. The reason why very often we're not confident when we are praying is because we're not too sure whether it's God's will or not. And very often we're not too sure because we haven't done the investigation to find out, is it God's will or not? Amen? Very often it's because of our lack of knowledge, our ignorance concerning God. I mean, if you know that when you get to know someone really well, you tend to know What's fine for them? Often my wife will make a decision and then she will upset me. And she'll say, this is what I decided. I knew you would be fine with it. Why? She knows me. Amen? We can pray confident prayers because we know God's will. Often we are double-minded because we don't really know God. And then we just say, ah, oh, Lord, we just pray, your will be done. There's no faith there. There's no faith there. When we are convinced of God's will for our lives, then we can pray in faith. Sometimes we cry, sometimes we weep concerning things that God has already given us. Can I just say that again? 
Sometimes we are crying, sometimes we are weeping for things God has already given us. It was Daniel's birthday the other day. We gave him various presents. Imagine now he comes and says, can I have this? But it's something he's already been given. Many Christians today are in intercessory prayer for things that God has already given them. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what God has already deposited into your spirit? How many of you know that when God blesses you with spiritual blessing, the Bible tells us we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How many of you know that your spirit is part of the spirit realm? Your spirit is not limited or confined to what's happening in the natural realm. And when God imparts something to you, please catch this this morning. When God imparts something to you, he imparts it to your spirit. And how many of you know that there are things that you can do to translate that which is already deposited into your spirit into the natural? One of those things is when you pray in the spirit. The Bible says when we pray in the spirit, we're praying mysteries unto God. Okay? One of the things you can do is when you make decrees, strong decrees, you're basically saying the stuff that's inside me, I want it to flow out like living waters. How many of you know that your voice is one of the things that brings out that which God has deposited on the inside. So if you come from a background where you just do silent prayer, silent worship, I'm worshiping God, I just worship Him differently. I'm just worshiping Him in silence. How many of you know that there are things you're not releasing? The way God has designed us as human beings is we release through our words. When you sing certain songs, it's important to understand what are the things I need to do that usher in God's glory? then do those things more and more. What are the things that I need to do less of? Because they hinder the glory of God. Do them less and less. How many of you know that a lot of it is linked to what you say with your mouth? Study the scriptures. The Bible tells us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Every word where? Every word that comes forth from? Every word that proceeds from the? From God. The preceding word. And how many of you know that the word that is proceeding from God, we're not talking about the past. We're talking about the words that are proceeding from God right now. How many of you know that that's very prophetic, isn't it? It's very prophetic when you do that. When you decree, when you declare the very things that God is saying right now, that's how we live. But if you don't know what God is saying and you're not an over your life, you're limiting that reservoir that's inside of you. That's why the Bible tells us that out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living waters. Let me tell you something. Those rivers of living waters don't just flow in silence. You let the river flow through your worship in song. You let the river flow through prophesying and decreeing over your own life. You let the river flow through the governmental prayers that you pray that legislate new things in the spirit realm. Can I hear an amen? Okay. I want to... I really teach you these things because a lot of people will say, Paul, why did you have that breakthrough? Paul, you made that announcement uh, in the spirit realm and we saw the results. How did it happen? This is how it happens, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? Sometimes we're crying and we're weeping concerning things that God has already given us. Do you know what God has already given you? Or are you still praying prayers that are not intelligent prayers? Are you still saying, Lord, please, can you give me this? And God is saying, but it's already yours. I just now want you to make it manifest into the natural realm. Can you see there's a difference? Can you see there's a difference? Can you see why a lot of the prayers that Jesus prayed, when when it came to healing people, he didn't pray a lot of intercessory prayers, did he? He just commanded it. Why? Why? He knew that he had been anointed to heal. He says that the Son of Man came, destroy. The word in the Greek is luo, which means to untie, to undo. To destroy what the devil had done. To destroy the devil's works. And that's why he would literally command certain things and they would take place. How many of you know that for certain breakthroughs to take place, we have to shift from just intercessory prayer about them, especially the things God has already promised, to making a decree and announcing it and commanding it. Amen? And if you, and if you practice this, you'll see the difference. If you look at, how many of you remember John G. Lake? 
John G. Lake is the guy who started the AFM church around the turn of the last century, right? He's an American guy. He's an American guy from the northwest part of the States. And he came to South Africa. And he ministered to lots of people. And in one of his letters, in one of his letters, because all their healings were recorded, but in one of his letters back to the United States, because people were wondering, how come your results are so phenomenal? And guess what he said? He says, we've shifted in how we pray for people. When it comes to healing, we're no longer interceding. Now, there's a place for intercessory prayer. Don't get me wrong. But he says, we're no longer going the route of just intercession. We're finding ourselves praying warfare prayers. And when we pray warfare prayers where we are commanding the sickness to leave, just like Jesus did, where he rebuked the spirit of infirmity and the woman was bent over, became well. He says, we've just seen an acceleration of the healings in this environment. It's so important for us to ask God, Lord, what type of prayer should I pray? I'm jumping ahead of myself now. Number three, the third sign of immaturity in prayer is operating in the ministry of accusation. Operating in what? The ministry of accusation. There are two ministries that happen before God. One of the ministries is the ministry of intercession. The other is the ministry of accusation. You see, we as believers have access to the throne of God, don't we? But you know that sometimes instead of using it for intercession, we use it for accusation. What do I mean by accusation? It's where you go before God and you're just accusing people. This one said this to me and this one said that to me as if God doesn't already. Our job when we go before God is to go before God with the ministry of intercession. What is the ministry of intercession? It's where you stand in the gap on behalf of man. It's a priestly ministry. Amen? Now there's a place for what's called imprecatory prayers. You know those prayers that David would pray? Right? It's where, for example, if there's someone who's coming to your workplace and they're bringing Satanism there and acts of darkness, or they're about to bring in some shady deal, what's called an imprecatory prayer is where you can say, Lord, whatever they are planning, let it come to nothing. Let them be confused in the name of Jesus. Right? That's an imprecatory prayer, and that's a, there's a place for that. But right now, where we're at, I want to show you that a sign of immaturity is where you just go before God, not interceding and standing in the gap, but just accusing people, telling God what he already knows. Amen? In the book of Revelation 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Those are powerful things. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. So the devil no longer has that access. He can't just keep going before God, accusing the brothers and sisters and so on, because Christ came. But guess who's doing the accusing now? Those who have access to the throne of God, the believers. Is everyone following? The accuser is Satan, and very often when we become critical, critical of our brothers and sisters, critical of church leaders. We're doing the work of, of the accuser. We're helping the devil do his job. Amen? God is calling us to a ministry of intercession, not a ministry of accusation. And let me just say something. God doesn't just listen to your prayers. He listens to your conversations. God doesn't just listen to your prayers. He listens to your conversations. So sometimes you can have conversations with each other and if those conversations are not godly conversations, the, the Lord is hearing and the devil is also hearing. And I can show you that in scripture maybe in a while if we've got time. When you come before God with the ministry of accusation, the Holy Spirit doesn't help you. I want the Holy Spirit to help me in my prayers, but the Holy Spirit is very clear about his job description. One of the things the Holy Spirit helps us is to point us to Jesus. One of the things he helps us to do is to worship, right? Because one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help believers to glorify the Son. There's rank in the Trinity. Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God, but there's rank in terms of their purpose. Amen? 
That's why Jesus said, I do only what I see my father doing. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, you know what, I'll take what's of Jesus and I will give it to you. Okay? In other words, the revelation he gives us. Right? So I want to pray prayers that I know will be backed by the Holy Spirit. Are you listening this morning? We want to pray prayers that are backed by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. If you go and you start praying, Lord, please may you expand the pornography industry. Lord, we just wanted to expand, Lord. Will the Holy Spirit help you with that prayer? Will the Holy Spirit help you with that prayer? No. So it was a silly example I'm using, but there are many prayers that Christians are praying that are not spirit-led, and the Holy Spirit, his hands are tied. I want to find out what the will and purpose of God is. And I want to pray those prayers and have the Holy Spirit help me in my intercession. Amen. If you want to become mature in prayer, you should be praying what Jesus is praying about. The Bible tells us that he sits seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf. I want to know what are the prayers of Jesus, and I want to be praying the prayers of Jesus. Those are the prayers that get results, ladies and gentlemen. Amen? How many of you times have been praying certain prayers, and you know the things you're seeing in your family? You know there's prayer involved. How many of you? You're seeing such breakthrough, and you can see. Melissa's hand is up because her husband has just graduated for his PhD. Well done, CPU. Well done, man. CPU. He's just graduated for his PhD. Powerful, long road. I read the speech and so on. But I can tell you something. There were people praying. There were people praying. And we need to give God the glory. Amen? I want to pray prayers that get results. Number four. Number four. The fourth sign of immaturity in prayer. And by the way, this, this section that I'm going to be teaching for the next three weeks or so, you can see it in my, in my book called The Inner Life. It's to do with personal revival. It's chapter 11, this, in that particular book. And it's, it's going to be in print this week. And so I'm think, I think by next Sunday we'll have copies of it. A powerful book. When the person who was helping me with the manuscript and editing it says, I literally had to stop. A number of times and just start praying. There was such an anointing. Then when I was doing my portion of the editing, it was the same thing. Okay? But I'll, I'll make it, it will be available, it should be available next Sunday. It's called The Inner Life. Okay? Keys to personal revival. Are you getting something out of this right now? Okay. Number four. The fourth sign of immaturity in prayer is using vain words and repetitions. Vain words and repetitions. It's important to understand that in ancient times, what would happen was people were pagans. Even today, there are many pagans. What do I mean by pagans? People who are religious but don't worship Christ, right? And what these individuals would do is they would have all sorts of rituals. Some of them would hit themselves, right? Hurt themselves, cut themselves. But some of them also had practices where they would just repeat the same thing over and over again, thinking that they can get results. Come on, some of you know, those of you from traditional church backgrounds, you know what I'm talking about. You know when people will say, you know what, the secret formula to use right now is you must pray uh, 12 Hail Marys. Pray, pray them over and over again. 12 Hail Marys, walk up and down like this, and then you'll see, and then the prayer is answered. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Those are vain repetitions. What does the word vain mean? Useless. Okay? It won't get you results. The power of prayer is in your faith. The power of prayer is not in the formula. Now, sometimes we do certain things that are full of formulas. Man of God, what should I do? No, bring to me this and then bring to me that and then spray this on your house and then put this on your head and then wear this and not this and then do this, not this. So many things, hula hoops you have to go through. Then your breakthrough will come. What happened to the blood of Jesus? What happened to the blood of Jesus? What happened to the covenant that I have because of what Christ did for me? So if Jesus died for me on the cross, why do I now have to make all sorts of other sacrifices? Was, was his blood not enough? So be very careful because some of you come from backgrounds where you try to make now pastors into witch doctors. 
You know what I mean? Some people, it's literally the same pattern. It's the same worldview. It's like, oh, we used to go to the witch doctor, the sangoma. We used to go to this medium or this fortune teller, and we had to do this, and we had to do this. Now we're in a church setting, men of God. We have to do this, we have to do that. That's not biblical. Amen? Your amen wasn't enthusiastic enough. You're not convincing me. You're not convincing me. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but pastor, but if the man of God said so, I don't know, hey, with these things, we'll just see, we'll see. I'm just an ordinary believer. This is too much for me. No, I'm teaching you this morning. The blood of Jesus is enough. Amen. Amen. The blood of Jesus is enough. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of? Because of their long-winded prayers. Do you know why we sometimes have to pray for a long time? We pray for a long time because there's lots to pray through. Not because we're thinking, ah, God will hear me because ee, look how long I've prayed. Amen? We don't have to use big words. It's better to pray in broken English or broken whatever you pray. God hears the language of faith than to be in a situation where you think, ah, it's my eloquence. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yeah. You know, some people think that God only hears King James. Hey, if I pray in, you know, it has to be the old King James, not these adulterated uh, versions. Ah, no, 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 give me my old King James. God will hear that. Give me my old King Jimmy, right? That's what God hears. Hey, what's this? NLT. I know it seems too casual, the English. No. And then, and then some of you don't even understand what the old King James says. Let's not be emotionally attached to a version of the Bible. Let's focus on what we need to focus on. Let's keep the main things, the main things. Let's make the basics beautiful. Let's pray prayers of faith. Amen. Yes, some people in here are better in English than others. But you know what? God isn't listening to your English. God isn't listening to your Zulu. God isn't listening to your Tosa. He's not listening to your Pedi. Whatever you speak, right? He's listening to the language of faith. No, seriously. Some people then, they, they, they never pray in their mother tongue because they got born again in an English-speaking church. So then they think like God will only hear when I'm praying in English because my first pastor was English-speaking. God hears the language of faith. In Hebrews 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace. Not, not his throne of works. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We are confident because of his grace. We're not confident because we had a good week. We're not confident because we, our marriage was going well this week, so now we can pray confidently. It's a throne of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. The Bible says, no flesh shall boast in my presence. In other words, when I come before God and I'm more conscious of my righteousness, hey, I sowed that seed. Ah, Lord, I know you're impressed with me. As a pastor, I'm not one of those pastors who's stealing from the church. I'm giving. Ah, Lord. <laughs> I know now I can pray confidently. Let's see, I've just done the EFT. Now I'm confident to pray. That's works. We approach the throne of grace, of unmerited favor, where we're saying, Lord, use me. Lord, I come before you just as I am. Lord, I thank you for the covenant I have with you, that you hear my prayers now. Lord, I don't deserve any of these good things that I have, were it not for your grace, where would I be? Then you pray. And you know what? When you're praying, you're praying in the name of Jesus. Just the moment you rely on your own works, you're now praying in your own name. You see, when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying in Jesus' stead, aren't you? 
You're taking his name and you are praying. So when God is hearing, it's as if his son Jesus is praying. Someone got that. When God hears your prayer and you're praying in his name, it's like when you go somewhere and you've got some promissory note, you've got something signed by someone and you're just the messenger. Isn't that powerful? The moment I now move away from relying on what Jesus did on the cross and the blood of Jesus, and I stop thinking I performed well this week, I'm moving from praying in his name to praying in my own name. Because with my own name come my deeds. And I'm just focused on my good deeds. I'm forgetting that there are also a lot of horrible deeds. And it ties God's hands. Amen? That's why Jesus says, up until now, you haven't prayed in my name. But when you pray in my name, things happen. Things do what? Happen. So if you're still going to God with a mindset of, Lord, I was born on the wrong side of the railway track. Lord, I messed up last week. Lord, people like me, we don't get breakthroughs. You're not praying in the name of Jesus. And by the way, just saying in the name of Jesus, that doesn't mean you're praying in the name of Jesus. That just becomes a formula. Are you hearing me this morning? One person can come before God and not even say in the name of Jesus afterwards, but they're praying in his name because of their understanding. Another person can say in the name of Jesus, a formula, but doesn't mean they're praying in the name of Jesus. Amen? Because when you're praying in the name of Jesus, it's about a mindset. It's not just about a magic formula at the end. Ah, but I, I prayed in Jesus' name. Did you hear? I said in Jesus' name. I remember my kids one time, I think they rebuked me about that, you know. So I prayed something and so on. But dad, you didn't say in Jesus' name. It's not a formula. When Jesus taught us to pray in his name, he was expressing a principle. He wasn't saying at the end of every prayer, just if you don't say that, ooh, then it's not in my name. Then I don't hear. Amen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Someone who recognizes their need for mercy is not someone who's perfect, but they can be confident. You can be imperfect but confident. The only thing that impresses God is Christ in you. Nothing else. You're, he's the one who gifted you. So why should he be so impressed by your gift? Just think about it. If I give my child a bicycle, and he's now got that as a gift, am I impressed with him because he's now got this bike? Hey, you're a man, look at the bike you've got, man. It was a gift. Number five, the fifth sign of immaturity in prayer. Praying from a place of pride and self-righteousness. This is a biggie. Praying from a place of what? Pride and self-righteousness. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. So they were arrogant. And this is what Jesus said. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now it will sound quite funny, but many of us do it in a very subtle way. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. This is very subtle, but it still happens, ladies and gentlemen. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. 
What did Jesus say? I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone, here's the principle, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. We're talking about keys to answered prayers, ladies and gentlemen. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Bible tells us in the book of James. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be? He who humbles himself will be? How many of you want to be exalted? Jesus is not saying don't desire exaltation. We want to be exalted in the land. We want to be honored in the land. We want to be used by God in the land. We want to experience favor in the land. And he's showing us a key here. Humble yourself. And one of the areas where it's easy to be proud is when we come before God in prayer. Watch your source of confidence. What is it for you? What's your thing? For the Pharisee, his thing was, I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I pray a lot. I fast twice a week. I'm a good giver. Amen? What's your thing that causes you to be proud? Is it your intellect? Lord, I thank you for the brains you've given me. I thank you for the, the mind you've given me. Hey! Lord, I thank you for the memory you've given me. I can remember all sorts of things. Hey, Lord, I thank you for my photographic memory. Hey, Lord, thank you that you haven't made me like those guys who are a bit dull. All right? Watch your source of confidence. Make sure you don't go into the flesh. Trust in his promises, not in your eloquence or your zeal. You know, one of the things I've learned in my life is that I can know something and I can speak to a group of people, let's say in the corporate world. Won't talk about church right now. In the corporate world. But you know that I need God for it to land. Because you can do two messages that are exactly the same and one day it lands and the other day it doesn't. Someone said in one of my seminars, I spent three days with this group of people from a particular organization in Pretoria. And someone said afterwards, when, in their vote of thanks, they said, you know what? I've been to a number of talks like this, a number of training sessions like this. This is an older person. But this time, the lights turned on. Are you seeing where I'm going? You can say the same thing to someone. Two different people can say the same thing to someone. In one situation, the lights turn on. In another one, they don't. I've learned, before I come to church on a Sunday, you don't know how I'm crying out to God. It doesn't matter how well I know the information back to front. I'm crying out to God that, Lord, everything that you've placed in me, somehow can it be imparted to people tangibly that their lives change. Because otherwise, it can just be nice words. Amen? You know what? If you want to have a powerful impact on nations, powerful impact on organizations, powerful impact on cities, communities, powerful impact in your family, make sure that everything that you do is touched by prayer. Amen? Look what it says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. It says, but when you pray, go into your room. Go into your room, close the, the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The moment you publicize it, please hear this very carefully. The moment you publicize it, you've robbed yourself of that reward. I'm going to do the last one for today, number six. One of the signs of immaturity in prayer is that your revelation is limited to one aspect of God. Your revelation is limited to just one aspect of God. You see, God is calling us to a place where we understand 
that he is a polypoikalous God. That's the Greek word for manifold or multicolored. Do you remember Joseph and his technicolored dream coat? Okay, God is a bit like that. He's got many sides to him. That's why when we pray, we say, Jehovah Nisi, my victory banner. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord who is my righteousness. Can you see what's happening? Right? He's got different dimensions. And some of you only know one dimension of God. And so your prayers are limited to those aspects. But I want to encourage you, study the names of God. Study the names of God. I've got a book at home on all the different names of God and what they mean. Because if you do not do that, your prayers will be limited to one dimension of God. You see, many people grew up with a father who was only a disciplinarian, right? He was only a disciplinarian or a provider. And you see them relating to God in the same way. God, yes, you'll provide for me. God, yes, oh, he'll punish me. He'll punish me if I'm naughty. He'll punish me. You just see him as a disciplinarian and a provider. But how many of you know that he's also your shepherd? Jehovah Roy, our shepherd. How many of you know that he's also your healer? Jehovah Rophe, he's my healer. Amen? There are many different dimensions to God. If you relate to your spouse only on one dimension, you limit the relationship. If you've got a close friend and you're only there because you want something from them, there's only one dimension to that relationship and it's not mutual. It's limited. I want to encourage you to learn about God's different dimensions. In Ephesians 3 verse 10 it says, His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known how? Through the church. And that word manifold is the different dimensions, the multicolored nature of God. I want to encourage you. Know God and your prayers. Powerful. Let's pray. Let's pray. If you're in a space in your life right now where you, you want an impartation of this ministry of prayer, where you want to go to your next level, and we all need to go to our next level, where you're saying, God, you know what? Some of these things that Pastor Paul was talking about, they apply to me, but I want to be ignited into a new dimension of prayer. I don't want to limit myself anymore. If that's you, just raise your hands to heaven. And I want to pray a strong prayer for you, for that ministry of grace and supplication. Just go around there. Just go around. Thanks. You're saying, I want to go to that next level of prayer. you see your people this morning Lord you see the situation that they come in from many have prayed prayers out of anxiety many have prioritized praying concerning their own needs before the kingdom of God many have limited their revelation to just one dimension of you many have prayed prayers of accusation or said things that are critical Father, we come before you right now. Some might have been in that place of being self-righteous and proud. We confess all these things to you. And we say, God, as a people, we want to go to a new level and a new dimension in you. Right now, I release the ministry of grace and supplication that will catapult my brothers and sisters to a new level and a new dimension of prayer that we will be a force to be reckoned with, that demons will be afraid of us and shudder because of the power of our prayers. Lord, we surrender to you and we say, come and take us to new levels. Come and awaken this thing in us. I want to ask you now to cry out to God with regards to this thing. Just with your own voice, just cry out to God and ask him to help you.
come and do it, Lord, come and do it. Let whoever is locked up in their spirits, name Jesus, rivers of living waters, let them come out, let it flow. Let the glory of God be activated in this place, Lord. Let the power of God be ignited in this place, Lord God. Come in power, Lord. Come in power, Lord. Come and do what only you can do, Lord Jesus. Activate every family that is represented here. Activate every business that is represented here. Come, Lord, with your power. Come, Lord, with your fire. Come, Lord, with your glory. Come and do it, Lord Jesus. 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 Father, may you come and birth what only you can birth. May you come and anoint us. May you come and give us the burden for the things that burden you, Lord. And let it be a new day, Father, in our prayer lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Come on, just clap to Jesus now. Thank you, Lord Jesus.